You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the Corbett Report podcast. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on the 28th day of April, 2023, with episode 442 of the Corbett Report podcast, The Global Pandemic Treaty is a Threat to Us All, which should be a fairly self-explanatory title, but for those who don't know, of course, I am referring to the proposed international public health treaty convention agreement or other instrument or whatever they're calling it these days that the World Health Organization is working on and looking towards bringing into effect as early as next May during the next uh, next year's edition of the World Health Organization's uh, convention, the World Health Assembly. So that is something that you should be familiar with because, of course, I have covered it here on this podcast in a previous episode of this podcast that will be linked in the show notes, as well as in various interviews and things that I'm doing, including, of course, my monthly conversation with Meryl Nass of Children's Health Defense, where we're covering the latest developments of those negotiations for that particular global pandemic treaty and the international health regulations amendments, which, as I've explained many times now, are two separate but perhaps merging um, ideas. There's two different tracks that the World Health Organization is working on right now, one of which is amendments to the world uh, the international health regulations. One is this plant pandemic treaty. They've talked about, they, they are in separate processes with separate uh, meetings that take place, but they've talked about the fact that this might merge into a singular instrument of some sort. It can take any number of forms. So it is important for us to understand that. And in that regard, I was asked recently by the National Citizens Inquiry in Canada, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, to uh, to make a short statement on this topic for uh, broadcast during their inquiry. Now, you will already know about the National Citizens Inquiry, of course, from this week's edition of Solutions Watch, but just in case you happen to miss, miss that, that you can find that at corporatereport.com slash solutionswatch hyphen inquiry, um, where you will be able to find that conversation that I had with uh, Michelle Leduc Catlin about the National Citizens Inquiry, what it is doing, and what it is about. Um, but they asked me to make a short, and I mean short, 15-minute statement on the World Health Organization pandemic treaty, the international health regulations, why Canadians should be concerned about it, what they can do about it, more broadly, what people around the world can do about it, etc. Obviously, a very, very, very tall order, but as I have pointed out before, it is good, uh, good practice to try to condense things down uh, sometimes in order to really distill things down to their essence so that people can grasp them quickly and easily. And on that note, perhaps this might make a good introduction uh, on the subject to people who have never heard about it before. So in that regard, I recently took the time to prepare a written statement, uh, linked and hyperlinked and sourced as usual with plenty and plenty of links to lots of information that you could spend a lot of time getting into the weeds of the subject, but I tried to keep it as broad an overview and as uh, as succinct as possible. I believe I succeeded in, in doing so in an under 15-minute presentation. I, of course, then recorded myself reading that written statement word for word. So 
there it is. Um, and I will be presenting that to you guys. This will be aired as part of the National Citizens Inquiry as well. And the National Citizens Inquiry has also asked me to uh, participate in a virtual, obviously online, uh, testimony for the inquiry, which is tentatively scheduled for May 18th at 9.20 a.m. Ottawa time, as the inquiry is taking place there in Ottawa on May 18th. That is still up in the air, details to come, but at any rate, I am planning, it is on the cards that I will be testifying um, about the World Health Organization, the Pandemic Treaty, the International Health Regulations, and the One Health Agenda. So again, an absolute mountain of information and evidence to go through. With regards to that, this is the entree into that conversation. And again, I hope it will make uh, a compelling and succinct and interesting presentation to start sharing with people who may not understand anything about this process or why it's important or what the World Health Organization is and why that's important. As I said, the written statement and all of the links, all of the sources that will lead you to much, much deeper information about this subject is linked up in the show notes in the transcript for today's episode at corbettreport.com slash pandemic treaty. But at the risk of making this a one-hour introduction to a 15-minute presentation, why don't we end it here and we'll get straight into the presentation. Enjoy. Hello, I'm James Corbett of The Corbett Report, and for those who don't know, I'm a Canadian who has been living and working in Japan for 19 years now, and I founded The Corbett Report in 2007 as a source for news and information about politics, economics, science, philosophy, and society. And in that regard, I have been covering the corruption of the World Health Organization and warning about the dawning biosecurity state for over 15 years now. So I would like to thank the inquiry for giving me the time to address this extremely important topic of the pending global pandemic treaty, but I know my time is severely limited today, so I would like to get straight into detailing the relevant background and context for understanding this story. Firstly, the World Health Organization was established in 1948 to promote, quote, the attainment by all peoples of the highest possible level of health, end quote. It proposes to achieve this by acting as, quote, the directing and coordinating authority on international health work, end quote. And so accordingly, the WHO's governing body, the World Health Assembly, adopted the International Sanitary Regulations in 1951 to consolidate the multiple overlapping international agreements then governing quarantine procedures and other international health controls into a single convention. In 1969, this was superseded by the International Health Regulations, which, as amended in 1973 and 1981, covered six diseases but focused on three, cholera, yellow fever, and plague. Uh, worries about the, quote, emergence, re-emergence, and international spread of disease and other threats, end quote, concurrent with the surge in international travel in the 1990s, gave rise to calls for a substantial revision of the treaty, and in the wake of the 2003 SARS event and the 2004 avian influenza A epidemic, if you remember that one, a renewed sense of urgency led to the 2005 revision of the IHR. This revision included the creation of a new category of declaration by the World Health Organization, the Public Health Emergency of International Concern, which is appropriately enough abbreviated as P-H-E-I-C, or I would read that, fake. A fake declaration grants the WHO the power to obtain and share information about any declared health crisis anywhere within the IHR territories with or without the consent 
of the individual governments involved. And according to Stephen Morrison, the director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, this potentially allows for boots-on-the-ground intervention by the U.S. military or other NATO member countries to operate in these environments in terms of ground, support, uh, ground transport, supply chain, and distribution of commodities. And the fake was first declared in 2009 during the so-called swine flu pandemic, which, as was later shown, was based on severely overestimated case numbers. In fact, the swine flu pandemic did not meet the WHO website's own definition of, quote, an enormous number of deaths and cases of the disease, end quote. And when that was pointed out by a CNN reporter on May 4th of 2009, the language was promptly removed from the WHO website. At the time, Richard Shabas, the former chief medical officer for Canada's Ontario province, was quoted as saying, quote, Sometimes, some of us think that WHO stands for World Hysteria Organization, end quote. Indeed, in 2010, a British medical, medical journal investigation and an investigation by the Council of Europe both concluded that the key scientists who advised then-WHO director Margaret Chan to declare the fake for the swine flu scare had, quote, done paid work for pharmaceutical firms that stood to gain from the guidance they were preparing, end quote, and excoriated the WHO for its complete lack of transparency about this process. Fakes were subsequently declared for the 2014 polio outbreak, the 2013 outbreak of Ebola in Western Africa, the 2015 Zika virus epidemic, the 2018 Kivu Ebola epidemic, and, of course, in 2020, the so-called novel coronavirus pandemic, as well as the 2022 monkeypox pandemic? Question mark? Uh, each of these cases similarly resulted in massive paydays for pharmaceutical manufacturers and other beneficiaries of the growing biosecurity complex and massive increases in power for health authorities in each country and for the WHO in particular. In fact, we're told that the current WHO director even ignored the decision of his own expert advisory council to unilaterally declare last year's monkeypox outbreak as a public health emergency of international concern. But incredibly, the WHO is not satisfied with the remarkable power that it already enjoys under these documents. It is currently engaged in a deliberately confusing process to simultaneously do two things. Firstly, to once again amend the international health regulations to give the WHO even more powers of surveillance and control during any arbitrarily declared health crisis. And secondly, to create a global pandemic treaty that would supersede the sovereignty of individual nation-states to cede even more authority to the WHO to monitor and control public health agencies in the name of preventing the next pandemic. The process for these two separate negotiations are happening simultaneously, and although there is the fig leaf of public input in these processes, in reality, only accredited organizations are given time to voice their opinion about the need for such a treaty, and even then, the WHO is under no obligation to even consider such input. Instead, actual negotiations are taking place behind closed doors in off-camera sessions, and draft documents and meeting minutes are only occasionally dribbled out for public consumption. Worse, as the WHO has already demonstrated, their procedure for adoption of these proposed amendments is at best a formality, and at worst, pure theatrics. 
I would like to, to make sure that if the committee now ready to approve the draft resolutions contained in, in A75 slash A Conf 7 Revision 1, the financial and administrative implication of these resolutions may be found in document A75A slash Conf slash 7 at 1. I am asking you if the committee is ready to approve the draft, draft resolution in question. I see no objection. I see no objection. Therefore, the resolution is, um, is uh, adopted with this, this amendment. Therefore, uh, I repeat, the, the uh, resolution <laughs> is uh, approved with amendment. That a completely unelected, unaccountable body that wields so much power over international affairs is meeting behind closed doors to decide the future of humanity under the pretense of the next declared emergency should be worrying enough. But the few details that have leaked out about these negotiations are even more frightening. These include provisions in the draft of the proposed treaty that would oblige member states to impose online censorship in the event of future crises under the guise of tackling misinformation. Provisions for the creation of a global digital vaccine passport system to stop unvaccinated people from traveling in the event of the next declared crisis and requirements that WHO members build and reinforce surveillance systems for future pandemics. While these ideas may seem benign or even noble to those who do not know the history of the WHO or the erection of the biosecurity grid, to those of us who have lived through three years of unprecedented medical tyranny, from forced quarantines and lockdowns to the attempts to illegally mandate experimental medical interventions, Stopping the WHO's unprecedented power grab must be our greatest priority. The World Health Organization currently consists of 194 member states, including Canada, and in order to become a member of the WHO, a state must ratify the WHO Constitution, which grants the WHO's governing body, the World Health Assembly, or WHA, the power to, quote, adopt conventions or agreements with respect to any matter within the competence of the organization, end quote, which, when ratified, obliges each member state to adopt those conventions or to notify the WHO's director general of rejection or reservations to that adoption within 18 months. As a WHO member state, Canada is obligated to abide by World Health Assembly decisions, or to provide specific reason for partial or incomplete compliance with those rules and agreements. So accordingly, the Public Health Agency of Canada provides regular self-assessment reports regarding its own international health regulations compliance. At an absolute minimum, Canadians must exert whatever power they have in whatever way they are able to reassert Canada's sovereignty over its public health by registering its reservations about the IHR and the pandemic treaty. That would, of course, not be a solution to the problem posed by the WHO, but it would be a start. A more thoroughgoing solution 
would be the complete withdrawal of Canada from the WHO altogether. But as someone who is not just deeply cynical about the ability of politics to influence such affairs, uh, but actually believes the political process itself, with its inherent abrogation of ind individual sovereignty, and thus, by extension, bodily autonomy, to be invalid and immoral, I would suggest that the more radical approach might be appropriate, that is, active and coordinated wholesale civil disobedience of medical decrees and mandates, whether federal or provincial, that are not in the interest of individual health, including, if possible, the foundation of private medical organizations with doctors and others of like mind who are willing to disregard the dictates of the WHO, Public Health Canada, and any other self-declared health authority to provide health care regardless of vaccination status or any other unreasonable dictate. I know that such a movement will not take place without a sea change in public perception, and such a change would have to be predicated on a sea change in public awareness and understanding, and that is why I participate in inquiries like this and do the work that I do to help raise awareness of these issues. I hope you can appreciate that there is much, much more to be said about this problem and its solutions than can possibly be done justice in a short presentation like this. So if you're interested in hearing more about this topic, I suggest you follow the hyperlinked transcript of this statement that is available at CorbettReport.com slash Pandemic Treaty, as well as check the Corbett Report archives for my previous work on the WHO and the biosecurity state, and to follow my monthly conversations with Dr. Merrill Nass on children's health defense as we document the progress of the IHR amendments and the Pandemic Treaty, toward the proposed ratification at the 77th World Health Assembly in May of next year. But in closing, let me just say this. The, w the WHO, the World Health Organization, was established in 1948 to coordinate international efforts to promote public health. But what is health? That may seem like a trivial question, but as we have seen over the last few years, the answer to that question can affect every aspect of our lives, from what medical interventions we are obligated to take to whether or not we are permitted to leave our own house. We cannot afford to let government appointees and unelected technocrats at the WHO answer this incredibly important question for us. It is up to us to answer that question for ourselves and to decide what health precautions we are willing to take and under what circumstances we are willing to take them. Any treaty health regulation, or other document that would seek to undermine our bodily autonomy is null and void, and should be treated as if it never existed. Thank you for your time and attention.